0: Well, today's our last week in our series on Romans 9 to 11. We're at the end of chapter 11. And so as we open up this part of God's word, let's come to him in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this part of your scriptures. Uh, please help us to hear the truth of Romans 11 clearly. Please help us to have a clear picture of the wonder of the gospel so that we might stand back in awe and praise you for your grace and your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a fan of old movies, then you'll know about the old version of The Italian Job. There's a recent version, a 2000s version of The Italian Job, but I'm talking about the old 1960s version of The Italian Job. The end of that movie is a great mystery. A bunch of uh, thieves have got together and committed a robbery on an armoured van and they've stolen a massive amount of gold bullion and they've escaped in a bus. The problem is that the bus has had an incident and it's gone over the edge of a cliff and the movie finishes with a bus teetering on the edge of the cliff, the gold bullion at the ed- at the end of the bus and sliding even further away. And us, not knowing whether or not the bus will crash to the bottom of the ravine or remain, what will come of this grand theft that's occurred. The end of the old Italian job is a tremendous mystery, and it's famous for the fact that it ends with this not concluded mystery, without a resolution to the great mystery. Romans 11 deals with a great mystery, so let's have a look with me at this mystery. Verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. So we love mysteries, but we love mysteries that are revealed. And this one is revealed. It's not like the Italian job. It actually comes to a conclusion. Let's keep looking. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Well, the revelation of this mystery is that God's plan has always been that through the hardening of some of Israel that wouldn't receive the good news of the gospel, God would generously and mercifully have the saving of many of the Gentiles as the gospel message went to the Gentiles because Israel had been hardened. And then in return that same gospel message would come back from the Gentiles in order to save many of Israel. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and in the 70s and 80s, pinball machines were a big thing. Video games were coming in, but pinball machines were massive. And a pinball machine operates where the ball basically bounces around from one part of the machine to another, sometimes just pinging off a device and other times landing and staying in a space for a little while. That's what's happened with the gospel. The gospel has bounced off Israel, who have mostly refused it, in order that it would be received and welcomed amongst the Gentiles. And God's plan is that after that had occurred, the gospel would then return to Israel and saved many. God's gospel has bounced around, but according to his plan, it is going out in order that God would achieve his purposes in saving many from the Gentiles, many from all the nations of the world, and also in turn returning and saving many of Israel. So does all Israel mean that every single person in Israel would be saved? That's what verse 26 says tells us. In this way, all Israel will be saved. Who exactly is that all Israel? Well, I want to suggest that it's not every single person in Israel that Paul is describing in this verse. And there are a number of reasons why it's not likely that Paul is saying that all the people of Israel will one day be saved. Uh, Firstly, these chapters actually argue that God's plan has been to save a remnant. For all time. If you think back to chapter 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 6 said, Not all Israel are Israel. Uh, God, Paul used the examples of God saving Isaac and not Ishmael. Uh, God's people involved Jacob and not Esau. God has always selected a particular number of Israelites, but not the whole nation of Israel. And if God's plan was eventually to save all of Israel then Paul has had a clear opportunity to tell us that way back in chapter 9 and yet he hasn't described that. And when you get down further on in our passage today God has bound everyone over to disobedience in order that he would show mercy to all that's further down in verse 32 but as he does that That all that he's showing the mercy to, the all that God will show mercy to, is not every single individual amongst Israel and the Gentiles. That much is clear from the big picture of the book of Romans. God's plan isn't that he would save the whole world, but that he would save people from amongst all the nations of the world. All of the Gentiles and people from amongst all of the nations will come under God's mercy instead of under God's judgment. And so I think it's highly unlikely that Paul is saying that God will somehow save every individual person from amongst the Jewish nation. But as a result of God's gospel bouncing around between different people groups, God has clearly got a plan to show mercy to many and to save people from amongst all of those people groups. That's God's mystery that is now revealed as Paul's explained it in the book of Romans. The Israel, God's plan is for the nation of Israel that they mostly reject the gospel. The gospel then goes to the Gentiles. The Gentiles receive it and as they receive it, the jealousy that's provoked amongst the Israelites mean that many of them See that witness of the gospel in the Gentiles, in the nations, and they too will turn to God in trust and be saved. All part of God's grand plan of his gospel going out to the world and all now revealed as this mystery is opened up to us and we see what God's plans are. And if Israel are going to see more people saved as this gospel goes out, then it will be through Jesus. There won't be a second track where Israel are somehow saved simply because they're Israelites. They too will be saved through the work of Jesus. Have a look with me at verse 26 and 27. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There isn't a plan B for how God will save the people of Israel compared to how he will save the people from the Gentiles. God's plan is always that Jesus is the one who saves. The Deliverer will come from Zion out of the city of Jerusalem and Jesus did his saving work in the city of Jerusalem. He was crucified dead and buried and raised to life, all in Zion, in Jerusalem. And it's through that event that God will take away the sins of both Israelites and Gentiles. That's God's plan A for all people from all nations. If anyone is to be saved, they're to put their hope in Jesus and be saved. Now, there's actually a summary of these chapters, chapters 9 to 11, that occurs towards the end here in these remaining verses. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. All of human history is shining a spotlight on the grace and mercy of God. If you walk around cities at night time, often the old spectacular buildings are lit up. Spotlights, uh, Spotlights are used in order to highlight the building and to show us the building. Romans is showing us that God spotlights his own grace and mercy through both the disobedience of some people and the mercy that he shows to others. Because God shows mercy to some, the disobedience and the judgment that falls on others highlights that mercy, if you like. And we see more of God's mercy because we understand his wrath towards others. So the rejection of the gospel and the acceptance of the gospel by Jews and Gentiles, all of that serves to highlight God's grace and mercy. That comes out in Romans 9, earlier. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us? You see, all of us would be objects of God's wrath if God just delivered justice in his world. But the fact that you and I can look and see that God is going to judge many should remind us that it is a free gift of grace that he shows mercy to any. That's the reality that's panned out in all of the book of Romans. God is gracious and merciful to some even though he is not under any obligation to deliver grace and mercy. And so both the mercy and the judgment of God serve to highlight God's grace and the gift that comes to us through the gospel. Now there's a big picture that pans out through all of the book of Romans and if you were to divide it up, it would divide pretty neatly into Romans 1 to 11 being a description of the gospel and then chapters 12 to 16 being how we ought to respond. So Romans chapter 1 to 11 big picture description of the gospel itself and then verses 12 to 16 how you and I ought to respond but before we get to how we how we're to respond in those chapters and we're not going to look at that in this series at the end of chapter 11 there's this tiny little sliver that helps to pull all of the book of Romans together to show us what the purpose of the gospel and our response is in all of this. Now when I was a kid I used to eat peanut butter sandwiches and the effect of that thin layer of peanut butter in between the two pieces of bread was to actually affect all of that sandwich. That taste, that smell of peanut butter carried out through all of the bread and all of the sandwich. And all of the book of Romans is affected by this thin little passage at the end of chapter 11. Let's have a look at it. O the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's this wonderful little passage that connects all of the book of Romans to the glory and the grace of God. And there are three things that I want to pick up on just briefly before we move on out of this passage. Firstly, no one tracks God's plan. Secondly, no one counsels God. And thirdly, no one puts God in their debt. No one tracks God, no one counsels God, and no one puts God in their debt. Firstly, no one tracks God's plan. None of us could have said, this mystery I could have foretold. God's plan of salvation in achieving it at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and his plan of having that gospel go out not only to Israel but to the Gentiles and to people of all nations, that plan is beyond tracing out for any human being. It's a mystery now revealed but no one could have foretold the wonder of what God was going to achieve in the gospel. No one tracks God's plan. It is untraceable. No one counsels God. None of us are in the position to be the piece of clay that speaks to the potter and says, you ought to have done something differently. Uh, No one is able to say to God, I can give you advice on how you ought to run the universe. None of us were there when he set the universe on its foundations and when he made his plans, and so none of us can stand in judgment over God's plan either. And lastly, no one puts God in their debt. We're a people who are pretty comfortable living with debt. If you ever want to own a house, then you need to get very comfortable with debt, unless you're in exceptional circumstances. Most of us at some stage will take out a mortgage in order to buy a house, and they are pretty much part of life for, for adults. If you want to buy a house, get comfortable with debt. God is incredibly different to us in that way. God is not used to debt. He owes nothing to any of us. And there is nothing that we, we can do in order to put God into our debt. Because he owns everything, us included. Now verse 35 comes out of the book of Job, that expression, who has ever given to God that God should repay them. God speaks at the end of the book of Job and he speaks out of a storm and Job has spent most of the book seeking to question God's justice in allowing suffering in Job's life. He seeks to counsel God and correct God's work in the world. And then God speaks and Job shrinks. And this is what God says in response, Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. You see, God is the one who owns everything in his world, including us, and we can never make God our debtor that he ought to repay us for anything. Well, none of us are taking plane flights anywhere at the moment, but we all hope that at some stage that'll change. Uh, And if you're planning on heading off on a flight at some stage to holiday somewhere in the world, uh, then you know that it's important not so much where you take off from, it's important where you land. Uh, You need to land on the runway. If you land somewhere else, things are not going to go well on your holiday. Make sure you land on the runway and then the rest of your holiday can pan out quite nicely. It's a bit like that in the Book of Romans. Paul shows us where we ought to land in response to the gospel. There's this massive, grand picture of what God has done for us in the gospel in chapters 1 to 11, and he lands all of, that, all of that gospel truth in these verses at the end of chapter 11. He shows us exactly where we need to land. And it's a position where we ought to be simply standing back and praising God in awe for everything he's done for us in the, in the person and work of Jesus. That's where we ought to land. We ought to be alongside of Paul saying, all the glory ought to go to God for all things because everything is from him and for him and through him. If you're a bushwalker, you'll know the experience of having had a long and difficult walk to make it to the top of a mountain. And what you want to do when you get to the top of that mountain is to stop and to have a look and to survey everything that's in front of you after the work of doing everything you've had to do in order to get to the top of the mountain. It's time to stop and rest and look around. And as we look at the view at the end of these first 11 chapters of Romans, we ought to be looking firmly at the grace and mercy of God. We should be looking at the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Friends, that's exactly where you need to land at the end of the description of the gospel of God. Standing in clear view of the incredible mercy of God, who is not obliged under any circumstances to do anything for us. He's not obliged to save anyone yet. In the riches of His grace, in the riches of His undeserved gift that is given freely to us, God has saved many. That's the picture that comes out through Romans one to eleven. We've been plucked out of the fires of God's eternal judgment, in order to be objects of His good pleasure in showing mercy on us to be placed under his loving care and his eternal blessing. Why? Well, it's not because God is obliged. It's because God is a God of mercy and who freely gives salvation according to his good good pleasure and in order to shine a light on him and to bring glory to him. And so some of us might actually be here now thinking, well, I'm not there. I'm not enjoying the view of the mercy of God. We may still be standing and complaining to God, seeking to give him counsel about how he should have done it differently, how he should have worked differently in the world. We might want to be giving God a piece of our mind. Or we might be ready to ask the same questions that Paul has answered in Romans 9-11, those questions of, is God unjust? Or why does God blame us? But those questions are answered in the truth of the gospel. God is the God of perfect justice and righteousness. He never convicts someone or condemns someone unless it is right to do so. And he's right to do it with all of humanity because all of humanity has sinned. And yet the wonderful thing that stands out that is spotlighted throughout the book of Romans is that God does show mercy, that he is generous and rich and in his lavishing grace both on Gentiles and on Jews. And so the reality is that all humanity have sinned and God is right to condemn all of humanity. And so he will act justly in condemning any that he condemns. And yet at the same time, God has given us a wonderful picture of his grace in the gospel. The God who is not obliged to show mercy to any has shown mercy to many, not just Israelites, but to Gentiles as well. He saved me. And if you're a Christian here today, he has saved you. Why has he done that? It's not because of anything that I have done or will do or because of anything that you have done or will do. It's simply that God has saved in order to shine a spotlight on his wonderful grace in order that people would see the glory of God and stand in awe with an incredible view of the grace and mercy of God and simply give him the glory and honour and praise that is his due. That's the big picture view of the gospel that we get in the book of Romans. And if we haven't quite got to the top of that mountain, if we haven't quite turned and seen this huge panorama that highlights the incredible grace and mercy of God, then it means we haven't really understood Romans yet. And we need to go back and keep working our way through, working our way over the description of what God has done and how he's done it, so that we would be people that stand in awe of his incredible mercy and grace towards us. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, you created the whole world and you sustain it day by day through your powerful word. And you alone are the one deserving of glory and honour and praise but you also have chosen to show mercy and grace to a people who are only deserving of judgment and justice. So we praise you and say along with the Scriptures, O oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever." Amen.